Amen. He's alive and he is real. As, uh, as we get into this this morning, I'm going to go to a passage of scripture that a lot of you probably know. We're going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 3 if you want to go ahead and turn there. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning and I would encourage you to write them down. You can write them on your neighbor's forehead if you don't have any paper or whatever you got to do. But I'm telling you, write this stuff down and go back and think on it because I promise that you'll get a whole lot more out of this than what I'm able to share with you today because I'm not going to be able to read every one of these scriptures. But Proverbs chapter 3, 1 says this. It says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years, and your life will be satisfying. Anybody want a satisfying life? Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. The translation that I have memorized of that little passage in my mind is, is trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And as we're thinking about this this morning, we're going to have to get to a point where we're 100% trusting in the Lord. And I think we live in a, in a generation, and I'll explain this a little bit, but we live in a generation today that wants to be capable but doesn't actually have to do it. And to give you a little, I don't know, a little story, a couple weeks ago the projector at uh, Oakton's Carthage went out. And uh, Kent and I went to Best Buy and we were looking at projectors, and of course neither one of us have a clue what we're looking at. And uh, so we're talking with this guy and uh, trying to figure out exactly what we need to get everything hooked up. And, and uh, so we get, we get this projector put up, but uh, I'm playing videos through it and stuff, and I can't get the sound to work. Well, the guy at the store had told us that this was a wireless projector. So Kent had thought somehow that it was wirelessly connected to the computer and would just play the sound, and bada-bing, bada-boom, it would work. Well, as I got to uh, tooling with this thing and getting a mount and everything, I start looking at the instructions. And it says on here that, uh, that it has the ability to be wireless, but just like everything else in life, you have to buy another part for it to actually be wireless. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, that just stuck with me because you got to buy this extra thing to actually get it to work. And I think we live in a world today where we want to be at the selling point where we can say, hey, you know, this is, this is wireless, so you should buy it. But in reality, it really isn't. We want to be able to say, hey, um, I'm this and that, and I know this, and I can do that. You know, I can play golf, but man, whenever I go out there, it sure doesn't look like I can play golf. We want to be able to say, hey, I can do it. When in reality, we may not actually have the ability to be able to do it. But man, we want to be capable. I want to say, you know, I want to say that I know Jesus, but man, do I really know him? And I think that we're this way in, in all of our, our culture. For instance, like, 
like in uh, education, for instance, I see this being in school, that we have, we value knowledge so much as a culture. You know, we send our kids to school and we say, man, you learn all you can. And they're cramming information, these kids, and, and I see these guys in college that are going through this and they're just getting information just crammed to them and they're, they're, no, they're getting to know things. And they end up $50,000 in debt and have a liberal arts degree and end up working in a job that they don't even need a college education for. We value that knowledge, but nobody ever considers that even though that we need knowledge, even more so we need wisdom of how to use it. And it doesn't matter if I know all of God's mysteries, if I know every single thing that's written in the scriptures, if I know in every context, in the Hebrew and the Greek, and I know every definition of every word and know all of this stuff, but I don't live a life that reflects that I really believe that, then it's useless to me. If I don't put it to work, if I don't do it, then what good is it to me? It doesn't do me any good to know everything if I don't do anything with it. And I think a lot of times we're, we're that way at church too. You know, you watch the, the sermons on, on TV and you see all this stuff and everybody's just looking for that, that wow factor. You know, they want to say, wow, you know, man, I, I get that. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, something being revealed new to you. But so much, we look for things new to be revealed and we look for all these things, but we don't actually ever do anything that we've learned. And I get that way a lot. You know, if we're not careful, it's real easy to say, man, I want to know something more. Like, for instance, I, I would love to be able to read in Hebrew and in Greek and be able to figure out the context of the culture of Scripture and be able to know exactly what it means. But whenever I consider all that, I think, well, Landon, how are you doing with the things that you do know? Huh, well... I guess not that well. Maybe I should just work on them before I worry about learning something new. You, you get what I'm saying? And it's this, this place where, where you got to get to a point to where we're, we're completely trusting in the Lord. And, but before we get too much farther into this, I want to ask you a question. And maybe not everybody in here agrees uh, today, but do you believe that this thing is true? Without a doubt in your mind, you believe this is true? Because by the end of this, I, I want you to remember that, okay? And be, and be thinking about these things. So as we move into this, I really do think that this, this whole deal, this scripture I want to focus on this entire time, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. So we're going to start by what it means to trust in the Lord. And, and if you're going to write down a bunch of these scriptures that I'm going to reference, um, the first one that came to my mind was in Matthew, whenever Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. And I think whether you're, you're trusting or you're uh, denying yourself or whatever it is, if you're going to trust in the Lord, sometimes it's going to bring you to a place where you're going to have to let go of what you think that you know. Because sometimes God's going to ask you to do things, and he's going to reveal to you things that maybe that you don't understand. But that doesn't change their truth, just because we don't get it. So, in denying ourselves, we're 
letting go of, of who that we think we are. We're letting go of what we think that we know. And we're going to take up our cross, which to me means being willing to sacrifice the same things that Jesus himself sacrificed in order, in order for us to get the grace that we never did deserve. He took on that punishment and that pain. And are we willing to go the same distance as Jesus went for other people who, who don't know him? And the other thing, I think, is, is following in Jesus' principles, right? And trusting in him completely. And, you know, sometimes that can be pretty difficult to do because uh, we don't always see immediately the results uh, from trusting in the Lord. And in the uh, day and age that we live in where uh, supposedly you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can both still be right, that can be kind of hard to understand. And in a culture of opinions, it can be hard to distinguish what's really true and, and what's not true. But the thing is, is that if I can tell you one thing that God is, if I was going to name one characteristic of, of above everything, I would say that God is faithful. He is 100% faithful. He has never let go of a promise he didn't keep. He has never uh, abandoned anyone. And so he is going to be faithful no matter what. He's still honoring principles. He's still honoring agreements that he made even before we were ever thought of on this earth. Abraham is still the father of many nations. For an example, he's still doing things in the scripture, like Proverbs is a great example. There's so many little principles that are just thrown out there that every one of them still work today. And that's the deal. It's like this, this context of, of scripture is still so true and still so alive but we have to be willing to put it into practice. And if God's still honoring Abraham's covenant, I guarantee you that whatever promise he makes you this morning, he's going to keep. You think about how long ago that was, how many years ago, and God is a covenant God. He is still faithful to the promise that he made. But a scripture I want you to write down for trusting in the Lord is Joshua chapter 6. And here we see Joshua and the army of Israel getting ready to take over the town of Jericho. And without reading the entire scripture, what God told them to do was he said, Hey, for the next seven days, I want you to march around these walls. And on the seventh day that you march around them, when I tell you to shout, you shout. And those walls will come crashing down and I've already given you the town. And uh, so they do exactly what the Lord tells them to do, and the walls fall, and they go in and take over the whole town, and it's a good deal. But the thing is, is that I, and I'm, the reason I can say all this is because I'm this way too. Whenever the Lord tells us to do something, in this context, we get to about day three or four, and we start saying, you know, God, where are you at? Why haven't I seen the things that you promised me that I was going to see happening yet? You know, they're marching around these walls, but they haven't seen a single crack go down the wall. You know, they haven't seen anything visually that says, hey, this is really going to happen the way that I said it's going to happen. They're not seeing this gradual progression of the wall, you know, slowly dripping down. It was a done deal whenever it happened. But I think a lot of times we get the same way. We, God will tell something to us and we live in a society that's so instantaneous. Man, I need stuff right now. 
Whatever you tell me, I need it, and I need it right now. But God doesn't always work that way. But God will speak something to us. He'll tell us to do something. And man, whenever we don't see the results that God promised us, we would see, we start saying, God, where are you? You know, why, why haven't you been here this whole time? But the truth of the matter is, is that we're going to have to learn exactly what it means to, to trust him wholly and completely. You know, trusting is obeying when you may not be seeing results. Trusting is doing what the Lord says whenever no one else is looking. And you know, even though Israel didn't see the crack in the wall, you may not see a crack in whatever problem that you have going on until you finally get set free from it or get delivered from it. And we so much want it to happen right here and right now. But see, the thing is, is that Jesus is able to do things that we can't even fathom. And for instance, a scripture you can write down is Matthew 14, 22. And in this passage of scripture, the disciples are out on a boat and uh, they start getting rocked by the winds and the waves and they're thinking the boat's going to flip and that they're all going to die and all this stuff. And they look out on the water and they see Jesus walking to him. And uh, Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, call me to you so I can come. And Jesus said, come. And he steps out on the water and he starts walking. And it says in the scripture that he sees by the wind and the waves and he starts to doubt. And he starts to sink in the water and Jesus comes to him and grabs him and picks him up. And he says, why did you doubt me? You were out here walking on water. What made you doubt? And the point that I want to make is that sometimes whenever you're trusting in the Lord and you finally step out of the boat and you get to walking towards him, it's not going to make the wind and the waves any less scary. It's not like the storms of life are going to calm as soon as you decide to follow the Lord. Actually, what most times they'll do is that they'll enhance a little bit. They'll turn up the pressure a little bit. That way, you know, you start to fear and you start to doubt. Well, well, you know, what if I sink? What if the waves take me? What if I die? What if, what if all this happens? And we start worrying about all of these circumstances that we start to see instead of just trusting in the Lord in the first place. Because think, think about this for a minute. I want you to wrap your mind around this. Like today, we can say a lot of times that, you know, maybe we don't, we don't need God, for instance. Like, let's, I talked about golf a lot this morning, so I might as well keep going. Um, you know, in, in golf, you're going to be as good as how much you practice. And that's with a lot of different things. <laughs> You're going to be as good as how much you practice. But God's given me an ability, and he's given my dad an ability, and, and whatever. Different people an ability to, every one of you can swing a golf club, I, I bet, one way or another. But the more that you do it, the better that you're going to get at it. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that God gave us all arms. He gave us all feet and all this different stuff. But I had to use what God had given me in order to be better at this thing I want to be good at. And I can think, well, you know, my entire golf game is just because of, because of me and because I'm good and all this different stuff. But it's not. Everything that we do, everything that we are, solely and wholly depends on God. Because if you really believe that he created you this morning, which is in the Bible that we were talking about earlier, if you really believe that he created you, then everything you do hinges on him. You're relying completely on the fact that he gave you the breath to breathe. 
and that he brought every single one of us here together this morning. And he gave me the arms that are able to swing a golf club and gave me the legs, you know, to shift my body through whenever I hit it. Everything that I have is because he gave it to me. And and just because circumstances may seem difficult, they may seem tough, or whatever else, it's not our own ability that gets us through those. And the waves and the wind of storms are always going to pick up whenever you step out for the things of God. But what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that you have to trust him. And somehow, I, I have, honestly, I have no idea how this theology even got started, but somehow it's been a, a belief uh, in recent years that, you know, man, if you're a Christian, life's just going to go so easy for you. It's going to be perfect. God's got all these blessings. He's going to bless you. You're never going to face trials or circumstances or anything like that. And it's bogus. Because the thing is, is that life's going to get rocky sometimes. It's going to get a little tough sometimes. But the thing is, is that regardless of whether it's easy or whether it's tough, we trust in the Lord regardless of what our circumstance is. And literally, we were talking this morning about in China and different countries across the world, people are literally being persecuted and dying for their faith. And I want you to think about this morning, just a little side note, if someone came in here and took me and took several others because we believed in Christ, would you keep going? Would you keep believing? Would you keep teaching? Would you keep sharing? Would you keep singing the same way that we sung here this morning? You know, it's, it can be tough to think about, but the thing is, is that no matter what is thrown at you, your faith is the one thing that's always constant because no matter what situation you find yourself in, God is the reason that you're able to do anything. So we need to realize this morning, it's easy to get in our culture and our, um, where you can have anything you want, you can do anything you want, and all this different stuff. People sometimes think, you know, man, I don't need God. What do I need God for? Whenever we use the things that he's given us in order to get what we want. And we can't be that way. And honestly, I think marriage is a good example of this. You know what I mean? Uh, marriage is literally, I'm choosing one woman, or I'm choosing one man, and it doesn't matter any others. It, it makes no difference. Just because there's other choices, I'm not going to make those, and I'm choosing one. And without a doubt in my mind, I'm going to continue to choose her or him, regardless of how rocky it gets, how tough stuff gets, and how bad other temptations come. I'm choosing the one. And it's the, it's the same way. Our, our relationship with God is no different. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, God, he won't give you more than you can handle. But the truth is, he won't give you more than he can handle. Because anytime you get outside of what you can handle, congratulations, you finally left your comfort zone. And that's where God wants us. That's where he is trying to get his people to move in such a way that we are wholly and 100% dependent on him because the stuff that he's calling us to do is so much bigger than ourself. So much bigger than ourself. And to get to that point, we're going to have to get to a place where we can't do it all on our own and we're 100% relying on him. 
So with that being in mind, we'll move on to the next part of the scripture. And it says, what does it mean uh, to not lean on your own understanding? And to me, not leaning on your own understanding means to do what the Lord says regardless of, of what your opinion about his word is. And that can be something that's kind of tough to, to deal with. But for instance, an example, and I can tell you this because I've experienced it myself, but like if God tells you, hey, I want you to go to Africa, and you can say, okay, well, um, I don't have the money, first off. Second off, I don't really want to go. Third off, you know, when you start going through this list of reasons why you don't want to do that, I'll just tell you right now that you better just start looking for plane tickets because you're going. <laughs> and it's going to happen one way or another. And sometimes we don't understand how or why God does what he does. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have to. You don't have to understand for God to do what he's going to do. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense of how or why. But the one thing that I found myself relying on more than anything else is that I can always agree that God is a good father and he always has my best in mind. Always. And a scripture you can write down for this is Isaiah 55, 8. And it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are beyond what you can even imagine. His way of thinking is so much higher and so much bigger. He does things that are crazy. Like, have you ever read this thing? Oops, sorry. Have you ever read this thing? There's some crazy stuff in here. Like, in this next example, in Matthew 14, 13, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. And at the end of it, they have more left over than what they started with. Think about that. With this meal and a message on Thursday, I guarantee you, or whatever day that is, Wednesday. Yeah, thank you. Whatever day that is, I guarantee you we're not going to only order one pizza. We're going to order pizza, you know, figure, okay, well, if everyone eats two slices, then we think there'll be this many people there, and then we'll figure it out. He literally had a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feeds all these people and has more left over than what he started with. It's crazy. His way of thinking is so much bigger and so much higher than anything we could ever understand. And a side note, too, is that what people don't understand about God is that we think that we need to fully understand the Scripture. We think we need to know it in the Greek and the Hebrew and all this different stuff to do what it says. And the truth of the matter is, is that whether you understand it or not, it's going to happen. All you have to do is be obedient to it. It doesn't matter if you get it. It doesn't matter if it fits the, the cultural norm. Even if you don't understand it and you do it, you're going to see God move through it. And in everything in life, you may not understand why God told you to do what, what he told you to do, but I guarantee you once you get to the end of life and you start looking back on it, you say, huh, I knew exactly why God told me to do that. I didn't get it then, but man, I get it now. Even just in, in my life, I can think about things where I'm like, God, why did you tell me to do that? Like, why in the world would I want to even do that? But I look back on it now and I say, man, I see God moving through that so much. And even though that my way of thinking is just this short time and this little bit that God's given me and, and trying to figure it all out, 
I have to realize that he is so much bigger. And he's been doing this a whole lot longer than I have. And we just have to know and trust in him. Now, sometimes you get to a point where we think that we may know more than God. Or not know more than God, but we think that we got it all figured out. And that's where this next scripture comes into play for you that uh, I find myself at sometimes. And it's in Job chapter 38. And after Job had lost everything, and basically it's a dialogue of his friends and them complaining and yada, 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 and they go on and on and on. And then finally the Lord answers Job, you know, basically saying, you know, God, why have I lost everything? I, was, I did everything you told me to do and all this stuff. And, and the Lord says to Job, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, who determines its dimensions and stretched out like the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning song sang together and the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I closed it with the clouds and wrapped it in the thick darkness, for I locked it behind its bared gates and limited its shores. And it goes on and on and on. But basically, his response to Job is, dude, where were you? Where were you whenever I did all this? If you think that you know everything, man, where were you whenever this happened? Where were you whenever the earth formed? Where were you whenever I spoke it into motion? You know, when we think about this in, in context, we get in a way of thinking like, God, why, why did you do this to me? Or why am I going through this? Or why has all this stuff happened to me? And this morning he's saying, dude, where were you? I have every inch of this earth in the palm of my hand. And every single thing in this earth answers directly to me. Where were you? And so his, his ways are, are so much higher than our ways. And so we'll move on to this next, this next part, and it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And to me, that's what I, I love so much um, about church, is because we come here, and every one of us probably comes from a different dynamic. You know, we all are good at different things. We all do different things. We work different jobs, yada, yada, yada. You know, like Larry, he didn't have me plant his corn that he's harvesting right now, or he wouldn't be harvesting very much corn. You know what I'm saying? And just different stuff like that. You know, we all have different giftings and different talents and different abilities. And with that being said, in 1 Corinthians 10, 30, or 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you're good at, what you do, as long as you do it for the glory of God. You know, we... I guarantee you, if you had a meeting with Jesus Christ tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., you're going to be ready, you're going to be prepared, your hair's going to look good, you know, you're going to be, and early. But whenever I have a meeting with Kent tomorrow at 10 a.m., I don't know if I'm going to come in with the same attitude. You know what I mean? I may have a hat on, you know, I may show up late or what, I'm just kidding, but you get the point. In our day-to-day activities, our day-to-day job, you know, we don't think, Man, I'm doing this for the Lord. But whenever we do everything for his glory, there's such a power in that. Because in another scripture you can write down is in 1 Peter 2, 9. This is one of my favorites, and it says, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, holy and set apart for me. Live your lives in such a way or above approach or live your lives in such a way that even if you're accused for doing wrong, that they will give glory to God on the day that he visits us. You don't have to say a word about your faith. But by your actions, people will know without a doubt that you are a child of God. And they'll give glory on the day that he visits us. To live our lives in such a way that we're represented. Man, that's powerful. At the end of that scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 33, Paul makes a statement where he says, imitate me as I've imitated Christ. And I don't know about you guys this morning, but I wouldn't say that to anybody. Standing up here this morning, I would never tell all of you, hey, do as I've done because I've done exactly what Jesus has done. And, you know, we think about all the stuff that we mess up and all this different stuff. But Paul was living his life in such a way, he was so uh, reflecting upon the life of Jesus that he literally told people, imitate me, do what I'm doing right now because I'm doing exactly what Jesus did. You know, and I don't know that we live our lives in, in, in such the same way. In John chapter 15, verse 4, we figure out that we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing without the blood of Jesus. So those are just a few that you can write down on that one. And then since we're short on time, we'll skip to the next one. And the last scripture is make our path straight. Man, a straight path isn't exactly something that's very obvious anymore. You know, who's doing what and that kind of stuff. But in uh, Matthew chapter 7, In verse 13, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for those that choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and few ever find it. How many is few? How many is few? This this path that we're talking about, I think that there's a particular scripture as well that connects into this really well, and it's in James chapter 1, verse 16. And it says, Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. And for me, the hardest part about being deceived is that you don't know that you're deceived. You know what I mean? Did you get it? You know, you don't know that you're deceived. You believe something is completely and wholly true, even though that you're completely wrong. And it can be really difficult to determine if you are deceived or you're not deceived unless you're looking to see, hey, man, you're, you're examining yourself. Man, am I, am I right or am I wrong about this? And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they only had one rule. It was to not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And Eve was standing a little too dangerously close to this tree that she wasn't supposed to eat of. And the serpent comes to her and says, hey, did God really say that you weren't supposed to eat that? And they go on and on and have this dialogue and ends up saying as she's getting ready to eat of this fruit, it says that she was drawn to what was good inside of the fruit and she ate it. Not only had she deceived herself, she found something good inside of, outside of what, what God had said. And there she ended up thinking what she was doing was good, and she ate it. 
And that can be something that it's very easy to do. There's a lot of confused people out there right now. A lot of different opinions, a lot of different, all this different stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that she had convinced herself that what God said really wasn't true. And she found something else that she thought was good. So the only way that we can tell the day is if we're deceived is to pick up this book here and to read it. And see, here's the, the thing, though. John Bevere put something on Facebook yesterday that I saw, and he said, we need to start believing what we read and not reading what we believe. The hardest thing to do is to pick up this Bible and not only read it, but every principle, every command, everything that Jesus said, every word that's in this book, looking at our life and saying, man, am I living my life in such a way that I'm reflecting this? Have I corrupted what this says to fit what I think is right? Or do I completely believe everything that's in this scripture? Because we agreed at the very beginning that we believe that this is true. And if this is 100% true, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way is in this book. And the only way that we can figure out if we're deceived, if we're on the right path, is if we look in this book and we read every command and we figure out exactly what Jesus is asking us to do, and are we doing it? That's all it comes down to. Straight is the path that leads to Christ. And it's a path that we just read in the scripture that said, few ever find. So to me, we talked about this last time that I spoke. We, we always want to be like Moses. We want to be like Joshua. We want to be like Paul. We want to be like these people. And I would consider, if you calculated all the people that have ever walked the face of the earth, and we talk about how many people we want to be like, it's very few. So let's just say, for easy math, that those people are, are 1%, and the rest of the people are 99%. If you want to be in the 1%, you have to be willing to disregard whatever the 99% are doing. Because whatever they're doing to get there, you don't want any part of it. Because what these guys did to get in the 1% was a sacrifice that 99% of people aren't willing to make. And this morning, man, we got to get a grasp on this. We got to understand that even in this, the simplicity of this little scripture that we're reading here this morning, that we're going to have to realize that we have to trust in the Lord regardless of what we see, regardless of what circumstance comes, and we have to know and acknowledge him in everything that we do. We have to disregard what we think, what we, whatever our opinion is, and read what God's word is and start to believe that. Because whatever else we've convinced ourselves of is a lie. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is grab a hold of this truth. Because sometimes, you know, your eyes can play tricks on you. This life can play tricks on you, like the other night. I was deer hunting. I was trying not to scare the deer that were in the field. I was packing up my stuff, and I see something out of the corner of my eye. It moved really close to my face. And I thought it was a raccoon, and I about jumped out of the deer stand. It was a leaf. It was... <laughs> but it was that dark that my eyes were playing tricks on me, and I'm sitting here trying to be quiet, and this limb flaps right in front of me, and I about jump out of a deer stand because my eyes had tricked me. And that may be a silly example this morning, but there's a lot of things in life that are playing tricks on you that are very real, that you think, 
But just like me, after I jumped and about fell out of my stand, I thought, you idiot. And there's a lot of things like that that we're doing in, in regular life, not just when we're in a deer stand and it's dark outside. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is there's a lot of things that you can think about. But the only thing that I know to do is to say, here's the life that Jesus lived. He was perfect, and he was willing to sacrifice everything for you. How does our life look like in in return? Do we look the same way that he looked? Are we doing the same things that he did? Would you be willing to say this morning, imitate me as I've imitated Christ?